Years ago, uh, my wife and I, I can't remember how we came across these tickets, but we got tickets to see the premiere of a movie. Uh, I had a couple famous actors in it. It was showing, premiering downtown Chicago, so we made a date of it. And uh, we, we went downtown. Didn't know anything about the movie except that it was based on a true story. And I don't know about you, sometimes when you see that, you see a preview for a movie based on a true story, it kind of adds a level of interest, doesn't it? You know, wow, these aren't just people sitting in a boardroom making stuff up. This, is, this actually happened. I've got to see that. I'm interested in that. So we go to this movie, and it's the story about this cop, and his son got in some trouble, supposedly killed somebody, and all the cops are after his son, but it's his son, so he starts throwing his weight around as a cop and trying to help the kid out, and then finally at the end, he's able to get the kid off the hook because he, he was able to prove how the kid didn't do it or something like that, and it's this long drawn out story about the father and son and their relationship, how the gangs are involved, and the gangs almost got the dad, but in the end, he finally gets it, and happy ending. Now, what was special about this premiere was that they told us, after the premiere is over, don't leave, because after the credits are done rolling, the, the real-life protagonist that the actor portrayed, the real dad, the guy that's a dad and a cop in real life, he's going to be here to field questions from the audience. And I'm thinking, this is great. Not only did I get to see the true story, the Hollywood production of the true story, get entertained by the film, see what the guy's story is, but the guy in real life is going to come, and field questions. And so he came and he was, you know, meagerly dressed. He didn't look like um, a real old guy. This story didn't happen all that long ago in his life. And he filled the questions. And obviously the questions were like, did this really happen? I mean, that was so incredible, right? That, how it happened like this? Did, did that really happen? And he answers the first question, well, no, that was Hollywood. You know, and then we all kind of laugh in the audience like, well, figures, you know. Then another question. Now, what happened in real life when you finally found out that he didn't do it? Well, in real life, actually, he did do it. Well, so how did he get off? Well, in real life, he didn't get off. He's actually, my son's doing 15 years. Well, what happened with the gang member that said, well, that gang member was for Hollywood. After five, six, seven, eight questions, we realized almost none of this is true. I mean... When they say based on a true story, they can just get away with anything. Yeah, the guy had, he was, yeah, he had brown hair, he had brown hair. All right, based on a true story, guys. And the rest of it, they jump in a boardroom and they make this stuff up. Whatever is going to entertain the people. If the real life story didn't have a climax, they'll put a climax in. If the real life story didn't have a romantic element, they're going to put a romantic element in. They're going to want to hit all the different aspects of what a good story contains so that it's a good enough production so that they make money. Now when I turn on a TV or whatever and I see a preview for a movie and it says based on a, a true story, based on real events is even worse, you know, um, you just look at it and you go, ah, none of that's true. It's disappointing, but that's how it is. You're going to meet people that don't want to come to church. They don't, want to, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to go to your growth group. They don't want to go to church. You say, but the... But, you know, the pastor's really cool, which would be true if you told them that. <laughs> but they don't want to come, and more often than not, the reason why, newcomers are like, this guy's cocky. <laughs> I just... No more often than not, the reason why they don't want to come is because they've been turned off by the 
the disparity between what we proclaim is true about who we are and what they see of us in real life. It's hypocrisy. I mean, we say that we're all this, and then when they see us out in the community, we're not really all that. We're not really doing those things. We're not really being those people. And so that turns them off to the church. They say, like, well, they say it's based on real stuff, but that's so loose that I begin to think none of that's true. I've met so many people that bark at me for doing something that they would never do, but I look at their lives and it looks nothing like Jesus, and so none of it must be true. I mean, you must know people like that. Maybe even in the church, maybe even in this church, you felt like that at one point or another, where you're looking around and you're going, man, where's the Jesus likeness? Where's the Christ likeness? I mean, we we hit that stage where we begin to pick apart each other and start realizing like, wow, none of us are perfect. And none of us are. But sometimes when it's blatant, when people see churches out there where what's being preached and what's being lived don't really connect. What the world sees is a Hollywood production of something that might have been true in Jesus' day, but we just use it as a script to perform church and not really be what it's really supposed to be about. Jesus addresses his head on. If hypocrisy is an infection that doesn't just hurt the church today, it hurt the church before it even started. Look at Matthew chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you. The black books are are copies of the Bible, and you can turn to the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. The first book you come across in that second part is the book of Matthew. And we're in chapter 6. Jesus addresses this issue, this problem, this infection, this sickness of hypocrisy, and then he gives us the antidote, which is the good news. Listen to what he says. Chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's his definition of hypocrisy. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, now he gives us three examples. Three examples of what this looked like in his day. Thus, when, when you give to the needy, Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now you can, you know, think about how back then, not very much unlike today, but especially back then, uh, they had a, a very um, uh, ceremonious way of giving in the church. And people would make, make a huge procession out of it. Oh, here comes family so-and-so. And you know how they give. And as they take all of their coins, all of their, their money that they were going to tithe to the church, and they dump it into the brass coffers that were sitting in the synagogue, the, the, the cavernous synagogue that would echo the slightest noise. And they would pour these coins, these thick, you know, hand-hammered coins into this coffer. And they'd look like everyone's listening to this noise as I'm pouring all this money. And the poor little widow just put two little plink, plink. 
um, look at these bags I'm bringing. They, they divvied it up in probably more bags than they needed to. And they needed, I, I needed to have more children just so they could carry all my offering bags. You know, and they come in with their family like a big procession with their long robes to show everybody how much they're giving. Maybe they didn't literally blow trumpets, but Jesus is saying, you know what I'm talking about. They make all this noise so that everyone can see what they're giving. Now that applause that they get, that's their reward. That means in heaven, they get zero. In other words, that didn't please the Father. That doesn't put a smile on the Father's face. That's not righteousness that pleases the Father. That's righteousness that pleases people. And if you're going to live your life to please people, that means you nullify what would have pleased the Lord. If you do something to please people, to get attention, and you didn't do it to get His attention, it doesn't count as righteousness. He gives us another example. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. You ever hear somebody pray, maybe if you grew up in church? I really don't see it here, but I mean, if you've been to other church, whatever, and you've experienced or met somebody, and they pray, and, and then you start opening one eye like, um, are you praying like to show off? I mean, Lord, I thank you that um, no one else understands my theological jargon. Uh, the redemption, sanctification, glorification that you so blessed me with, sanctified me with, and internalized in my interiority. And you're like, you know, why are they praying like that? These people made a profession of it. They, they, they made a living out of this. They made, you know, I'll, I'll go to that synagogue. I'll listen to those Pharisees. I'll listen to those scribes because listen to how they pray. I can't even understand what they're saying. It must be deep. Don't pray like that, he says. They love to stand and pray in the street corners so they could be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. You want a rewarding prayer life? You're going to pray so that God is your audience. You're not going to pray so that other people are your audience. Now, maybe you're thinking, what happens on Sunday mornings when we all pray together? We're not in a closet. Aren't we praying in front of each other? What happens on the first Friday of every month when we have our monthly prayer gathering? We're praying in front of other people. Is that, isn't that ostentatious? No, it doesn't have to be ostentatious because those people that come don't pray so that others can hear them. They pray so that we can agree together in one spirit and God is our audience. What he's talking about is people that do things, any righteous act, he's given us two examples so far, that is performed just so that other people can see it and so that it can prop them up in their eyes of other people as super spiritual people. But behind closed doors, they don't pray. In the closet, they don't pray. In the morning when they wake up, they don't pray. In a restaurant at IHOP, surrounded by people, they pray. In the morning, breakfast, everyone else is still sleeping, they don't pray. At home, alone with his wife, he doesn't pray. But at a couple's retreat, in front of other husbands and wives, he prays. Those kind of prayers don't count. God's going like this. You don't get reward. Your reward is everyone else going, oh, he's so spiritual. That's your reward. That's all you're going to get, ever. It's fleeting, it's temporary, and it's depressing. I'll explain that in a minute. So as he continues to unfold this issue with prayer, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. Now, I'm, I'm not going to skip that. I'm just going to bypass it for now. In two weeks, we're going to come back to the Lord's Prayer and 
really sink our teeth into it. But he's using the Lord's Prayer as an example for a larger argument. Sometimes we get real microscopic. This is how we're supposed to pray. Hold on, time out. He's not saying this is the formula for praying necessarily. What he's saying is the overarching argument. Stop praying these long, elaborate prayers that are show-offy to people and show everybody your education and how much of the Bible you understand through your prayers and start praying in a different way. That's his point. And then he gives us a third example in verse 16. When you fast, some of us are like, uh, doesn't apply to me, I haven't fasted ever. Um, maybe we should look into this. Um, note to self sermon series, fasting. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fast so that their fasting may be seen by others. In other words, oh, they put dark circles, you know, oh, 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 what's wrong? You sick? No, I haven't eaten in 39 days. You know, Jesus went 40, one more day, and I'm just like Jesus, you know. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness. And they start Facebooking. Oh, my goodness. You know, this person stayed for 39 days. Can you believe it? And they're like, yeah, you know. Well, back then they had, they would just, they would just exaggerate. You know, they'd be mourning. They'd be, oh, my goodness, he must be fasting. How many days? Well, I don't really like to tell anybody. 38, you know, it's so that other people could see it. And Jesus is saying, you just, you just wasted 38 days. For what? For a couple of golf claps in the synagogue? Because it did this much in terms of eternal reward. That fasting didn't do anything. In God's view, you just skip meals. Because you're performing it. God doesn't want performance. He wants change. He wants to see that deep inside you, you're doing it because you're so desperate for Him. You're skipping meals because eating His Word, eating His Word is more important to you than the breakfast, than the food. You don't have time for shopping. You don't have to have time for cooking. You don't even have time for a drive through because you're so desperately seeking Him for something and you skip meals to seek it from Him, demonstrating to Him that He is more important. The daily bread that you get from God is more important to you than the food that feeds your physical body. Now, it doesn't matter if somebody sees it or doesn't. That's true fasting. What Jesus is saying is, you can fast as a performance, but it won't count. And he says, like he said the other times, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, there's a few things here that get repeated. In each of the examples, he repeats a couple things. I just want to look at them. If you look at each of those three examples, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. Do not be like them. Now, what's interesting is that, and I didn't really know this until I was researching this, the word hypocrite is the Greek word for actor. You know, back then in these times, if you were reading a a daily newspaper and it would say, actor so-and-so is going to be in the square today. Stop by if you want to autograph. It would have said, hypocrite so-and-so is stopping by today. The word hypocrite meant actor. That's what the original word hypocrite meant. And it's not hard to see why. These actors would wear masks and makeup and wigs and costumes so that when they're on the stage doing a performance, they're pretending that they're not who they really are. They're trying to pass to the audience as somebody else that they're not. And that's what a hypocrite is. Is there something wrong standing on a, on a corner and praying? 
No. But if that's just a mask, and then in real life you don't pray, then yes, that's wrong. If you only come to prayer gathering on first Fridays of the month to pray in front of everybody, but then everywhere else in your life you're, you're, you're prayerless, yes, that's hypocrisy. What he's saying is it's not wrong to do things that people catch notice of. If somebody finds out you're fasting, it's not like you blew the fast. Darn it. You know? No. What he's saying is if you're only fasting on Facebook, but in reality it has nothing to do with the Lord, then you're wasting stomach pangs for nothing. Because it's a performance for people. Your audience is people. Your audience is your family. Your audience is friends. Your audience is uh, your social network. And your audience is not the Father. And he's saying when your audience is not the Father, it doesn't please Him. And when it doesn't please Him, you don't get reward. Your only reward is whatever people do for you. Because you're living your life for people. And it's not eternal. It's fleeting. I think we, we honor actors in our society, right? It, it blows my mind when I go on TV and, and a bunch of airtime is given to like Matt Damon. Or what, here's what George Clooney thinks about the race. You know, and I'm thinking, wait, why? Because he plays a politician in a movie? I mean, maybe he's a smart dude. I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys know more about it than I do. I, I don't know. But I just think it's an odd society, isn't it? It's an odd society when we put the microphones and we give a stage to people that the only reason why we know who they are is through the fake roles that they play in a movie. Then suddenly we want to know who they marry, we want to know what they name their kids, we want to know when they broke up, when they started getting dating, when they're going to get married, we read the tabloids, we look at the news, we want to hear who they're voting for. And the, and the actors actually have sway in the public. You better believe it, they have sway. If famous actors go behind a politician, they're going to sway the public. Why? Because they see them on the big screen, and they leap tall buildings, and they know how to shoot guys, and they know how to jump, and they know how to steal cars, and they get all the pretty women, and these are the manly men. When you think of manly men, who do you think of? Do you think of the farmer down the street that gets half their produce, the Caputos? No. You think of Harrison Ford. Well, who is Harrison Ford? I have no idea. I have no idea who Harrison Ford is. I know who Indiana Jones is. Indiana Jones can jump on top of tanks and catch up to vehicles on a horse and crawl underneath the car with his whip and get back and kick out eight Nazis and take over the vehicle and run off the, rest, off the road. He can survive opening the Ark of God. I mean, I know who Indiana Jones is. I know who James Bond is. I don't know who these other British chaps are that play, play the role. I don't know who they are. Could they win in a fight? I have no idea. Are those his real abs when he comes out? Uh, maybe it's CGI. I have no idea who the real guy is. And so our concept of people who are in the know, people who are intelligent, people who are um, adventurous, dangerous, manly, romantic, whatever you want to fill in the gap, a lot of us, in our culture, we tend to fill in those gaps with actors, and we don't really know who they are. And I think in the church, we tend to do that. We, we promote this facade, this performance. We learn how to perform and we promote to the world, we show the world a, a, a mask that's not really who we are. You know, it's not really who, a deep transformation inside of us. We just know how to play the part. And so what people see in the churches today in America is a, a, a huge stage play with a lot of clapping and words on a screen and a flamboyant preacher that's like, yes, and do this and do that, yes. And then out there, it's not, it's not really what's happening. I feel this pressure all the time. I feel this pressure all the time because if we go through a book, I don't get to just preach the passages I'm good at. 
Sometimes, sometimes they nick me. I'm like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And other times I'm just like, God, please help me. You know, because I know I'm not perfect. But what Jesus is saying is, you're, you're not perfect, you're not perfect, but you have to base your life on who your audience is going to be. If you're going to fall and drop the ball and get back up again and keep trying the Christian life, do it because you're, you're, you're living your life for one audience, and that's the Father. But if you're going to live your life and, and supposedly put the pieces together and just do Christian things and learn how to clean up your speech and learn how to do things that are very Christian-y and learn how to talk Christianese, and it's all because your audience is people, it's a big fat waste of time. Don't do it. He's saying, if you want to get real, if you want me to really change your life from the inside out, it's going to be because you start living for the praise of the Father and stop living for the praise of people. And he gave us three examples. You could fill in the blank with other examples. How we pray, how we fast, how we give, how we talk, how we greet each other, how we sing. Just how we do all the things that are Christian. And then maybe behind closed doors it doesn't match. Because behind closed doors there's no people. And there's only the eyes of the Father. And since we don't care about that, that's why we stop. That's why we don't do those things. The other thing that I find interesting in this passage is the three times he repeats, you will get a reward in heaven. If the Father is your audience, you will get a reward. Now, you know why I find that strange? Because it almost sounds selfish, doesn't it? Oh, I'm going to do this because I get a reward out of it. I don't know. Sometimes I give my kids a reward. If you do this, if you clean this up, I'll let you get, get this candy or this toy or whatever. Rare. Normally I do it because it's the rule in the house. That's why you're going to do it. Because you're doing it to please me and thereby pleasing the Father because you're supposed to obey me. That's why you're going to do it. And so I, I think if it's always candy and toys and stuff, then, then their, heart, their little hearts begin to worship things and they don't really get discipline. You know what I mean? And so I'm careful with the things. But then I realize what he says. Listen to what he says. Look at the first example in verse 4. Give in secret. Why? Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Future tense. Secret and future tense. I don't know what the reward is. Some of us read Revelation, we think it's an actual crown with actual jewels in it. Maybe. I'm not really a jewelry guy. And I've never been like, man, I, could, I really wish I had a crown. You know, I don't have any hair. Might as well have a crown. No, I've never thought that. You know, I, I don't want a crown. Maybe it's a real crown. Maybe it's not. I don't know what the reward is. Two authors in particular emphasize eternal reward. That's Matthew, more than any other author, and then John when he writes Revelation. Jesus says towards the end, he says, uh, I think it's in 21.12, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I'll repay to everyone according to what they've done. So God does want to reward us, but here's the thing. It's secret. You don't, you don't come into church with a thing glowing over your head. Showing everybody how many reward points you have so far, what your stock is in heaven right now, floating over your head. It's secret. And you don't even know what it is. You couldn't even journal it and keep it private if you wanted to because you don't even know what the reward is. You don't know how much it is. You don't know what it is. You're just trusting that the Father is pleased and is going to reward you. And when you're, when you're living your life for the audience of the Father, 
You don't care what the reward is. You care that it put a smile on his face. You care that it so pleased him that he will reward you regardless of what the reward is. He's pleased with what you did. He's pleased. He's pleased. It may not have pleased people. It may not be something that everybody knows about. Maybe this morning when that basket passed, you put half your life savings in there. And no one's going to know except a couple people that count it in the back. And it's not going to be announced. That pleases the Father. That pleases God. And so reward is okay. The reason why it's different from the earthly reward is because earthly reward doesn't do anything for you. Um, I have an uncle who years ago, years ago, decades ago, uh, was hugely successful. Um, he, he sold insurance and he got to the top and he had this huge corner office in Detroit. And he would get uh, awards all the time. They would have these huge meetings, district meetings, national meetings, and he'd stand up in front of everybody and get these awards for being a top guy, the guru guy. He had a radio show where people would call and get asked financial questions, and he would answer them. And, and he had a radio show. He had awards. You'd go, I'd go in his office, and he had plaques and awards. And one award was a chair. The whole chair with a, a, a bronze stamp in the middle of it was his award. I don't know how he came home with it. That, <laughs> that was his trophy. You know, and he had all these accolades. Some of them were newspaper clippings, kind of glazed onto a plaque. And he's in the newspaper and, oh, so-and-so made blah, blah, blah. This guy had money. He, had, he drove Jaguars with the mahogany steering wheels. And I don't know if Jaguars are still all that, but remember back in the day when it was like, Jaguar, you have one? Can I sit in it? You know, that, that was the time. Multiple car garage, three-story, four- or five-story house, whatever, a lake in the back, their own little private lake. And I remember him confessing to me that on the nights that he got those awards, his depression would be at its worst. He would feel horrible. Like there's just a huge gaping hole. And the more praise he got from people, the larger that hole would get. Remember one night after a reward ceremony, he came home was just yelling at the kids and throwing things around. His wife was scared. He said one day he drove up to his, uh, in the parking lot, and he looked up at the sky rise, and he could see his corner office in that building. And that's the first time when he's contemplating all his success, the first time he contemplated suicide. Guys, all the praise in the world can't fill that hole inside of you. That hole was designed to be something that pleases the Father, that attachment that you get to Jesus Christ, that when you do things, it pleases Him. We were created. We were created. The purpose of our creation is to bring glory to the Father. When we bring glory to ourselves, it destroys us, it depresses us, it just opens up that black hole, and it's like a vacuum that sucks you dry. We weren't created for that. We were created to bring praise and honor to the Father. When the Father is our audience, then we're acting the way we're supposed to be. We're living in the way that we were created to live. When our audience is people, it's backwards. We're cutting off our lifeline and we're killing ourselves. And so what he's saying is don't, don't be like the hypocrites because their reward is depressing. It doesn't do anything for you. It's not eternal. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It runs out and it doesn't fulfill you. But if you want to please the Father, then live your life inside out. Not outside in. You live your life outside in, you're trying to look, put Christian pieces together. Go to church on Sunday, talk like this, da 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 No, hold on a second on all that. 
Are you a changed person inside? Changed? I want to worship the Father. I don't care what he says. I don't care what he says. Get married. Stay single. What's the Bible say? What's the Bible say about it? And I'll follow it because I want to please him. Now you're on track. Now you're on track. And then suddenly these things out here will start getting cleaned up because you're changed from the inside and you're not biting your nails trying to change it from the outside when you have no power to do so in the first place. He's saying, don't don't be like the hypocrites. They have no power for change. Don't be like the hypocrites. They don't know the Father. If you want a full reward, eternal reward, it's going to be because you live for the praise of the Father, not for the praise of people. Um, You and I know that you can't trust everything you see on commercials. When it says, uh, here's this awesome product. You know, it does this and it does that. And you're like, hmm, I don't know. I want to check it out. In the 80s, I, had, I knew a guy that his family, to this day, makes fun of him for buying a watch that was supposedly indestructible. And he bought this watch and started showing it off to all his brothers. Look at this watch. Have you seen the commercial? It's indestructible. They go, come on, man. You believe that commercial? You're, you're such a fool. It's real, man. This watch is indestructible. Yeah, right, man. He said, yeah. And on the commercial, they show the watch on the asphalt, and a truck drives over it. And then they pick up the watch and show it, look, it's intact. And they said, dude, that's special effects, man. That's not special effects. They say that this watch is indestructible. Let's try it. So they go outside and they put his watch on the street. And one of them gets in the truck and goes over it with one tire. Just just shattered. So they all laugh at him. And to this day, they, they make fun of him. Remember that watch? Remember that watch you thought was indestructible? Ha, 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 ha. He thought it was just because the commercial said it was. And I think this, this is what shatters Christianity. We're putting out there on our lawn sign. We're putting out there the sermons on the internet. Our vision is on our website. This is what we're about. This is what we value. And when people come and check out the church, they want to see it. We say we're about families. We say we're about kids. And sometimes we don't even know what virtue we're teaching. We say we're about people. We say we're about welcoming. And, and sometimes people come and maybe they're not welcome. And I think we're, we're doing really a lot better at that. But we have to keep continuing to raise that bar and say, okay, are we really doing what we're supposed to be doing or are we just talking the talk? Because as people look out there in Christianity and they see a bunch of dud churches, they're going to see a church that actually shines, a church that's actually about salt, a church that actually shows light. And that's the difference that's going to attract people to the gospel. It's living that, that difference out. A friend of mine tells a story of when his cousin came over and, his, and my friend's mom had a basket on the table, and in the basket was all this succulent-looking fruit. There were apples. And his cousin came over, and he took the apple, and he tries to bite it. And he goes, man, these apples are hard. And he's like, dude, they're fake. What are you talking about? Yeah, man, they're like from Pottery Barn or something, you know? And he was trying to bite into it. He says, I, I'm telling you, to this day, there's teeth marks on this one apple. You know, my mom puts it, she turns it, you know. But like if you look for it, you can see that bite mark in the apple. It's so funny. And I thought, well, why, why would we do that? Why would we put a basket of fake fruit on a table? Why not just a basket of real fruit? I don't know. I don't, I don't know the real reason behind it. But I'm guessing that the reason why baskets of fake fruit sell is because it's easy. Most of the time, it looks better than real fruit. It's not going to have wormholes in it. It's not going to have that waxy, weird exterior that you try to wash off to no avail before you eat it. 
They're not going to be oddly shaped. They're not going to have dents. They're not going to have those like brown spots. And they're going to be like a luscious green or a luscious red. They're not going to be kind of, well, it's half green and half red and it doesn't really match my drapes. I want them all green. It's easy to just have the fake ones. It matches. It's easier to clean. You don't have to keep up with it. They don't bring fruit flies. It doesn't get dirty. Every, you know, every apple pretty much looks the same. And I think fake Christianity is easier. Because you don't have to get dirty. You don't have to get real tough with it. You don't have to get real deep with it. You just have to learn how to put on the show. You just have to put on the exterior. And if you put on a good enough exterior, people will come. People will applaud you. People will like it. There are certain things I do as a minister, as a preacher, that I refuse to do. Because I know why a lot of other preachers do it. It's because it itches where people are, it scratches where people are itching. You know what I mean? I go, yeah, but that's not, it's not true. That's not true. Or that's entertaining. That's entertaining, but it's not, it's not really speaking to the issue. And whole, whole churches are built on facades. What Jesus is saying is, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't be like the hypocrites, because that's not Christianity. Christianity is living for one audience, and that audience is the Father. I'll leave you with this last thought. I know a girl who grew up in the church. She's on the worship team. All she's ever known is church. Church weekday services, church weekend services. She plays the piano for the worship team. Um, she's involved in the church. Her parents are leaders in the church. And she said, you know, I, I still believe in God. But I just don't know if I really believe in church anymore. And I can't really blame her because she said that on the heels of numerous stories of how the church had divisions, splits, they argued over this, argued over that, split over this, a family left and took a bunch of people with them, another family comes, they try to take over, and then when they you know, don't like what the pastor said, then they leave and they take off, and they take a bunch of people with them, and in come a new set of hypocrites, and the church is so full of damaging families that she's just like, is just any of it real? Is any of it real? This is what churches do to those young generation. We wonder, why does that young generation grow up and by the time they go to college, they leave the faith? Why? Well, what were they growing up in? Well, we had Sunday school. We taught them the truths of the Bible. What did they get at home? What did those kids get at home? I want to see that research. I want to see those statistics. I'm sick of hearing about, oh, the Sunday school's not working anymore. Youth pastors should be out because youth pastors don't work anymore. We need a new model. No, we don't need a new model. We need parents. We need Christians that live the same inside these walls and outside those walls. And when the kids see that it's the same in church and outside the church, it's not arguing in the car and then, okay, we'll finish this later. Hey, everybody, how's your head? Did you get your bulletin? That kills the kids. It's fake. And so when they go off to college and they start reading, seeing people, they, they meet a Muslim who, who prays five times a day, whether he's on the gymnastics team or he's, on, he's not on the gymnastics team. He's a smart kid. He's a dumb kid, whatever it is. He's doing good in classes, not doing good in classes. But he prays five times a day, carries his little mat with him and rolls it out, faces Mecca and does it. Everyone's laughing at him and he's still praying on that mat. And you go, how come people are converting to Islam? Because they're the same inside the mosque and outside. 
And if we would just show people that, that, that this is real, this is real, this is truth, and it's not enough for me to just hear that sermon. It's not enough to just come and gather around the ser- sermon, something that's taught. But we've got to go home and over lunch and over breakfast and at, at, when we're tucking our kids in at night and say, did you hear that message? Did you hear that what he said about the balloon? And Did you get it, the responsibility thing? What God is trying to teach us here? Sometimes I'm not responsible, son, and I, I apologize for that. Forgive me for that. I want to teach you responsibility. Help me teach you responsibility because that's what pleases the Father. Guys, if we see that, we're going to raise up missionaries, evangelists, people that just raise up a new generation that's going to take over the church and really bring it to the community. And for those of us that have parents that handed down a fake version of Christianity to us, let's get over that and start again. And get genuine, get real, because without authenticity, we can't please the Father. And if we don't please the Father, we can't impact people for Him. Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites, that doesn't work. You'll get no reward in heaven. If you want to please the Father, if you want to do what puts a smile on His face, everything you do will be for an audience of one. Him. Everything you do will be for His praise and not for yours. Mike, why don't you come on up and we're going to close in uh, this last song of worship. We've sung it as we've gone through the series Inside Out and I want you to really contemplate the lyrics of this song as we sing it. Um, That the only way to live this, leave these doors and actually live this, It's to be transformed from the inside out and not just trying to prop up exterior things that look like the real thing. Let's let the Lord press that into us. We'll sing, and then I'll say a special prayer after that, a prayer of blessing for us. Let's sing together.